Thank you, Callie. At this time, children that are in Children's Church downstairs may be dismissed. I don't think they've gone yet. As they're doing that, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus uh, chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Last week, I spoke on the state of the church. It was a message specifically geared towards those of you who are a part of our church consistently. Uh, We as a body of believers are called to do God's work. We're called to uh, be serious about uh, what God wants us to do. But sometimes if we're not vigilant, sometimes if we're not careful, we grow callous to the calling that God has for us. Sometimes we grow apathetic, and that is what we talked about last week. God has a work for us to do, but what is it that God wants us to do? I mean, have you ever um, had instructions from God, uh, or instructions from someone, I should say, Um, but yet you do the wrong thing? Or how about this? Have you ever done something and then found out you were given the wrong instructions? How frustrating is that? I remember um, when I graduated from high school, uh, my youth pastor who was uh, uh, served as youth pastor here as well, Pete Weary, uh, my youth pastor took us on a mission trip, and we ended up out in Arizona for part of the trip, and we were helping out there at a camp And what they asked us to do was interesting. Someone had donated to them all the the metal beams and the pillars that were needed to construct an all-purpose building. They were going to use it for a gymnasium. And uh, they had been given this about five years prior to this, but they didn't have the the funds or the the manpower to build the building. And so it had just been placed in one part of their property. And when we got there, they said, we're getting ready to build this building, but it's in the wrong place. So what we want you guys to do is we want you to take these beams, and we're going to have you move them to another part of our property. And so this was a big job. These beams were huge. They were I-beams, and and they would take about 10 guys to lift one. And so we would go. Now, this is Arizona, so I want to tell you kind of something humorous that happened. They told us, they said, when you go out to these beams, um, you have to understand this is Arizona, and so there's the potential for rattlesnakes to be hiding under these beams. Uh, they're eye beams and so there's a gap underneath there and so what you need to do is you need to go and jump up and down on these beams and if you hear a rattle don't lift it made logical sense right and so we were doing that every time we would jump on them and then we'd go pick them up as I said it took about 10 guys to lift well we got to about our third one and uh, we all lifted it up and we'd had to work together and all of a sudden one of the guys just screams And he's like, ah, a snake! And he lets go, and we all pull away and let go at the same time. It was not a snake. Uh, It was a bunny rabbit. (laughs) But in the process, it scared the bunny rabbit, who decided this was a good time to come running out from under the beam just as we dropped it on top of the bunny rabbit and severed it in two. (laughs) It was interesting. But anyway... Now that you got that, that graphic picture in your head, let's move on. Uh, anyway, uh, as we were moving these beams, we, it, we spent two and a half hours moving these beams. We'd pick them up, we'd put them on a trailer, we'd drive them over to the spot where they needed to go, and we'd unload them. It was 95 degrees that day. We had been working for quite some time, and we saw the camp director coming along, and, and he wasn't the one that gave us the instructions earlier, it was someone else, and the camp director comes along, and he's like, Guys, you're doing a great job, but this isn't where we want them. 
what? <laughs> and so we had to spend another two and a half hours moving them to a different location. How do you think that made us feel? We were frustrated. We were frustrated, we were irritated at the amount of time we wasted on that. So we had to ask the question, what is it God wants us to do? What is the thing that God wants us to do? Well, in the simplest term, God has called each and every one of us here, if you are a believer, to glorify God. To live in a way that brings glory to God in everything you do, whether it's a small thing or a big thing. Remember what Scripture says, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. But how do we do that as a church? Again, I want to give you that in simple form. It's something that we've talked about. You see it over here on the side. This has been our, our theme as a church for a number of years now. It is our responsibility to worship God, to grow together, to serve others, to reach the world. That is what God has called us to do. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we do that by allowing God to lead us in areas of ministry and service that he has for us. And every year as a church, we have at the beginning of the year, we have our Vision Sunday. This is where we lay out what is the vision that God has for us as a church. Now we've been doing this since I became pastor, which is about four years. And over the last four years, I've learned a number of things. First of all, I learned that, that these goals, these visions have to be simple. If they're complex, we, we can't follow them and we, we lose track of what we're supposed to be doing and we don't do it. Secondly, I've learned is that sometimes people don't like vision. Because vision means change, and we don't like to change. So sometimes vision is something that people don't want. But I think the greatest thing that I've learned is our, over the last few years is that vision is empty unless it's poured over in prayer. So today I want to speak to you about the greatest need of First Baptist Church, and that is prayer. Without prayer, we cannot overcome apathy. Without prayer, we will not, not know what the plan of God is for our church. And therefore, because we don't know the plan, we don't know God's vision. Without prayer, our vision will never amount to anything for the glory of God. Without prayer, we will never have the power of God to do what God has us to do. We need prayer. And today, I want to give you a challenge and I want to challenge you as a church, and again, this is specifically for those of you who attend this church on a regular basis. I want to give you a challenge. I want to challenge you to a 21-day prayer challenge. I want to challenge you. You say, why 21 days? Three weeks from today is our Vision Sunday. And for the next three weeks, for the next 21 days, I want to challenge you to pray for this church like you've never prayed before. I want to challenge you to pray hard that God will work in this church. At the end of this message, I want to give you more about this challenge, but for now, I want to look into Scripture, and let's look at Exodus chapter 33. Our, our text is going to be longer than what I'm going to read, but I just want to read to you verses 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought, out, brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put their, on, on their ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people, You are a stiff-necked people, if for a moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. 
So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to what that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll help us as we look at this passage to understand this very intimate moment that you had with your people. I pray that you'll help us to understand, Lord, we need to pray. Lord, we need to be desperate for you. We live in a society and a culture that has gone so far from you, and the only hope is if your people are praying. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be desperately pleading with you. God, give me the words to say this morning as I speak. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When we get to this point, I want to just kind of give you some uh, background of where we're at in this passage. If you remember, God called the people of Israel. They were in slavery. They were in bondage in the land of Egypt. And God, through Moses, called them to leave. And the miraculous events that happened as they went as they left Egypt, where we see in Scripture, and you've heard them before, but as they left Egypt, they, they went on their way, and God provided for them over and over and over again. But yet, they still complained. They would come to Moses, and they would say, Moses, you brought us out of Egypt. We were comfortable there. And now, we're going to be here, and we're going to starve, and we're going we're to uh, die of thirst. And God, where are you taking us? And over and over again, they would come to Moses, and they would complain. And God would provide. We see in, in the chapters leading up to this that God led Moses up to the mountain and that's where he had that intimate relationship, an intimate conversation with Moses where he gave him the commands and he gave him the, uh, what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to worship and all these things. And as Moses is coming down, we see in chapter 32 that the people had gotten sick and tired of waiting and, and they said, we're, what, you've abandoned us, God, and Moses has abandoned us. And so they came to Aaron and said, Aaron, we're tired of waiting. Why don't you do something about it. And so Aaron gathered the people together and they gathered, gathered all their jewels and all their gold and they, they melted it down and they made a golden calf that they worshipped. So we come to chapter 33 and God's angry. Moses is frustrated and so we see that's what leads up to this point and we begin to see God uh, work and Moses work here and we see Moses pray and so I want to see just four points and you have them in your bulletin if you want to keep track. First of all, we need to pray to declare our need for God. I want you to notice again in chapter 33, look at verse 1 and 2. God commands them to go to the land. He says in verse 1, Moses, depart and go to the land that I have promised you. The land that I promised to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. Go there. And then notice what he says there. And he says, and I will give it to you. That's an amazing promise. He says, Moses, I've promised this for, for generations. And I'm going to keep my promise. And I'm going to go with you. But then notice the bombshell that he drops on them in verse 3. In verse 3 he says this, Go up to the land, but I will not go up among you. I mean, God had gone everywhere with them. Every step of the way, wherever they went, God was with them. And suddenly God comes along and says, Moses, you can go into the promised land and I'll give you everything you want, but I'm not going with you. Because you're a stubborn people. 
And I am not going to travel with you. And the people we see in verse 4, they're distraught by this news. They weep. They mourn. It says that they don't participate. The ornaments has to do with their, with their worship. And they're not participating in their normal acts of worship. And each step along the way, God had been with them. And they had gotten used to the manna that God had provided from heaven. They had gotten used to following a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, as God would lead them along the way. And suddenly God says, I'm not going How would they live without God? God said to them, you can go to the land and I'll give it to you. But I'm not going. They had a really hard choice. The promises of God over here or the presence of God. Now let me ask you this question. Which would you take? If God came to you and said, hey, I am going to, I'm going to give you all these promises and every single one of them is going to come true. Every single one of them is going to come to pass. But I'm not going with you. And you have a choice. The promises of God or the presence of God. Which are you going to take? I think that we're often tempted to take the promises of God and go out without the presence of God in our life. You say, no, 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 no. That's not true. That's not true. I want. No, but that's the, the reality is, is that we constantly are doing the work of God without the presence of God in our life. We're doing it all the time. We do church without any help from the Spirit. We sing without the Spirit. We teach without the Holy Spirit. We serve in every area of our life, and oftentimes we do it without even stopping for one moment to ask for God to work in our lives. It's dangerously possible to carry out the activity of the church and be successful without the Holy Spirit present. It's dangerously possible. Listen, it's happening all over our nation. There are churches that are, that are growing rapidly because they're doing the right programs, but the Holy Spirit of God is not at work. And you know what? The same thing can be characteristic of us. Last week we talked about apathy. And when apathy sets in, we stop needing God. And sometimes we think that if we meet in a building, it means, and there's people in this building, that we have a spiritual life in this church. Sometimes we think that if we do the work of God, somehow God is working in our lives, but we adopt a self-sufficient mentality that I am good, like I got it down. I know if I go and I run my ministry and I do it this way and I act this way, you know what, everything's going to be okay. Or if I get up and I sing in church, maybe I'm thinking about the words, maybe I'm not, but I know that everything's going to be okay, but the reality is, is that we so many times, we live without God in our lives. And if we're convinced that we really need uh, God to be effective in our spiritual lives, if we think that we need God to impact the world, then we need to pray. But I think so often we're, we're settling with prayerlessness in our lives. And when we settle with prayerlessness, guess what else we're doing? We're settling with powerlessness. We need to throw aside our independence from God. We need to throw aside our dependence on our natural abilities and our, and our traditions. Jonathan Edwards, the uh, great preacher, said this, only God is able to do the work of God, not us. And every time God has done something great in this world or in our nation, it has been preceded by the people of God praying fervently. 
And we have a great opportunity here in Mishawaka. But we can do nothing without the power of God. And in order to have the power of God, we need prayer. So God comes to Moses and says, Moses, you have a choice. You can go and I will do all these wonderful things, but I'm not going with you. So how does Moses respond? Well, if you look at chapter 33, we, we didn't read these verses. I'll read them in a moment. But in 7 through 11, I'm going to skip over that and just kind of highlight it. Moses goes to the place where he meets with God. And he comes to verse 12, and we see Moses meeting God, with God. And look what he says in verse 12. See, you say to me, bring up this people. I mean, first of all, I want, to, want you to notice the boldness of Moses you know, sometimes we go to God with such passive prayers. And Moses is not that way. He says, see, you say, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found, also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Moses begs with God. Here's the thing is Moses was so desperate for God that he had no problem being bold with the creator of the universe. And here is Moses coming for God and he's saying, God, I don't want to just go and achieve these promises. I want you, God. I don't want to go anywhere without you. He was so bold. We need to pray desperately because we need the presence of God in our lives. Every one of you, you need the presence of God in your life, but we've become so dissatisfied with not having it. With praying just every once in a while. We need God to work through this church and we cannot move forward or grow without God. And we as a church need to plead with God. God, empower us. We're not going to see God work because of, of the things around us. You're not going to see God work in Mishawaka just because of who your pastor is or who you are or, or what our programs are or this building. We're not going to see God work because of those things. We're going to see God work because of his power in our life and that only comes through prayer. We need to pray because we're desperate. We need to declare our need to God. Let me ask you this question. How often do you declare your need to God? You know, there's many times throughout my day where I'm just stopping and saying, God, I can't do this. I cannot be a pastor with, on my own. I can't. I can't be a husband on my own. I can't be a father on my own. I can't. I can't do it. I need you. Secondly, we need to pray to experience an intimacy with God. I skipped over verses 7 through 11. I want you to go back and let's read those together. Verse 7, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. I want you to picture what's taking place here. First of all, it describes this tent of the meeting. What was the tent of the meeting? The tent of the meeting was not Moses' personal tent. Remember, they were wandering through the wilderness. They were traveling around, and so they didn't have homes. They didn't have buildings the way we do. They had tents. 
Uh, and I, I don't know if it was a Coleman tent or what it was, but it was, a, it was a tent. And every time they would go somewhere, they would set up a tent and, and uh, they would dwell there. And, and when they would do this, Moses would take a, t- a separate tent and he would take it outside of, the, city, outside of the, the assembly where the people were gathered and he would set up this tent and it was called the tent of the meeting. And this was a place where, where people would go if they wanted to uh, bring disputes before Moses. It was a place they would go and they would have a meeting. It was a place where people would go and they would commune with God specifically. It says in this passage it was far away and we know because God uh, is holy that he needs to be far away but I think there's an obvious statement of displeasure here that God is having for his people. They are unworthy to be near him when he communicates with Moses. But imagine this scene unfolding here. Okay, the people have just been told by God, you're a stiff-necked people, you're a stubborn people, and so because of that, I'm not going with you. Moses begin, tells the people, and after he finishes telling the people, he begins walking slowly out to the tent of meeting. Just picture, if you will, for a moment. And as he's walking through the assembly of the people, and it tells us in this passage that each of them, they're coming out of their own personal tents, and they're watching as Moses walks. And I'm sure as, they're wa- as he's walking, they're realizing, you know what? Whew. We're in trouble. We failed God. And as they're walking out, Thousands, maybe even thousands of thousands are staring as Moses is walking to the tent. And Scripture tells us he gets to the tent and he walks into the tent. And as he walks into the tent, this cloud comes down and dwells on top of the tent. Can you imagine observing that? It's a heavy moment. And it signifies that God is now communing with Moses. That's such an intimate relationship. But here's the thing about this scene. That was the way the man of God would communicate with God at that time. But the Bible tells us that you and I have that same opportunity because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saint had to interact with God when they went to the temple or when they went to the the tent or when they went to the tabernacle. They had to communicate that way. But the Bible says that you are the temple of God. So here's the really amazing part. Listen to me. Here's the really amazing part. You can wake up tomorrow morning and you can sit in your living room or in your car or in your office or in your bedroom and you can plan all the events of that day. You can plan the meetings that you have and the people that you have to interact with. But the greatest thing that you can do at that moment is you can have a meeting one-on-one with the creator of the universe. Isn't that an amazing thought? That's the idea of prayer. The idea of prayer is that you experience intimacy with God. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew when he was teaching on prayer. He said this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corner, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. That doesn't mean we can never pray in public, but the idea of this is this, is you're having a one-on-one relationship, intimate conversation with your Creator. It goes on and he says, And when you pray, do not heap up phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. What he's saying to them in that passage is, don't just do, pray the same thing over and over again. 
Do we get caught doing that a lot? He says, don't be like them. Then notice what he says at the end of the verse there. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, here's the thing that's, that's amazing about God. Okay? You sit down tomorrow morning or maybe later today and you start praying to God and you say, God, you know, please be with my, uh, my mom. She's sick. You know what God's not doing? God's not pulling out a notebook and taking notes. He knows everything already. He, he doesn't need to take notes of your prayer requests and go, okay, yeah, i got to work on that. i got to do that. Yep, mm-hmm. He doesn't need to do that. And some people will say, then why do I need to even ask? And here's the thing. When you ask that question, you are finally starting to understand what prayer is. Because the purpose of prayer is not to get something or to even ask for something. The purpose of prayer is to know someone. So when you get up tomorrow morning or whenever you uh, spend time with God and you read the Word of God and God speaks to you and He tells you what He wants you to do and then you begin to pour out your soul to God, it is not that you are telling something to God that He didn't already know. He says, I already knew all that. What you're doing is this, is you're communicating with the one who created you, the one who saves you, the one who sustains you. Let me ask you this question. Do you have that type of intimate relationship with your Savior? Or is it just a list you throw at him and like, like a rich father, you hope he'll take care of it? See, Moses had an intimate relationship with God, and we pray, we need to pray that we have an intimate relationship with God as well. Not, not just as an individual believer, but as a church. And our prayer, over the next 21 days, our prayer needs to be, God, help each and every one of us to have an intimate relationship with you. Not like what we've already had, but something stronger, something better, something greater. We need to pray that we'll have an intimate relationship with God. Thirdly, we need to pray to participate in the plan of God. Look, if you will, in uh, this chapter we've been reading in, in Exodus chapter 33. So we see in this passage that, that Moses says what he says to God in verse 12 and 13. God, I, I want you to go with. Don't forget that, we're, that this nation is your people. Verse 13, God says, My presence will go up with you and I will give you rest. He says in verse 15, if, if your presence will not go up with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, Moses says, if you're not going, I'm not going. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that uh, I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your, uh, in your going with us? He says, how, how are the people around us, how are the nations around us going to know that we're different as if you go up with us? And notice what he says in verse 17. God says to Moses, the Lord says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. Moses asked and God answered. Moses, God heard and responded. That's heavy. That's heavy. God listens to you. God listens to us and he wants to hear us. But you know what? This isn't the first time that God clearly answers Moses' prayer. 
Look, if you will, in chapter 32. Remember in chapter 32, I said this is where the people had slipped and they had constructed a golden calf and they were worshiping it, which angered God greatly. How much did it anger God? Look, if you will, at this passage. I read this verse last week when we talked about the apathy of the people of Israel. But notice what he says in verse Uh, Chapter 32, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. It's a stubborn people. Verse 10. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. You know what, what God did here? God comes and he says to Moses, I'm done with them. I'm done. So much so that he says to him, Moses, I'm going to do something with you that I did one other time. And that was with Noah. Remember the time of Noah? God was so tired of the sin of the people that he destroyed everyone. And God says to Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy all the people of Israel. I'm going to start all over with you. Look what, um, how Moses responds in verse 11 of chapter 32. And Moses implored God. Moses begged with God, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and might? God, please don't do this thing. Look at verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, God, and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and and said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall be and they shall inherit it forever. Moses says, God, please don't. And Moses begs with God. And look what happened. Look at verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now there's a a huge, long theological discussion we can have on verse 14. Some will say that God changed his mind and changed his plan. We understand if we do a study of all of Scripture, an in-depth study of Scripture, we see that's not possible because Scripture tells us that God never changes. But he did respond to the plea of his saint. And what we can learn from this is that God told Moses, uh, I'm not going to do this. And Moses prayed and God answered his prayer. You see, Moses was a part of a bigger plan of God. And the bigger plan of God was that Moses wanted, or God wanted Moses to be the one that led his people. And Moses uh, prayed and God answered and he participated in the plan of God. You see, we need to be pleading with God that he will guide us to participate in his plan. What is the plan that God has for us? We can come up with, I can come up with a vision for this church and we can develop a plan to reach the people of Mishawaka. But if it's not his plan and it's not in his power, then our man-made plans will be useless. God has asked each and every one of you to be a part of his plans for this church in our town. But he wants us to do it through prayer. How much of what you do is your plan and not God's? How much of what we do is is our plan and our wisdom but not God's? You see, Moses was also not perfect, and so he was subject to this same thing. So you remember what happened to Moses? A little while after that, 
Remember the time when they were, they were traveling around and again they were coming to a point where they had no water. This had happened previously and God told Moses to hit the rock and, and remember he hit the rock and water came gushing out enough to, to uh, allow everyone to drink and their cattle. And it comes the second time and God comes to Moses and he says in, in, in Numbers chapter 20, again, the people are thirsty and they're begging God and they're saying, God, we need something to drink. And, and God says to Moses, take your staff and the assembly of the congregation and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Remember God says to Moses, Moses, go and talk to the rock. And so shall uh, bring water out of the rock for them and give to the congregation their cattle. And you see the dot, dot, dot. It's because I skipped a couple verses. What happens in that middle part? That middle part, Moses goes and he's preparing to do this and the people are grumbling and complaining. And Moses, like, like a leader uh, sometimes do, Moses gets frustrating and says, Ah, I've had it with you people. And in his anger, he goes, and instead of doing what God said and speaks to the rock, he hits the rock, and in water, we see in the passage, Moses lift up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. God still provided. We know the outcome of that was God said, Moses, because of your sin, because of your lack of faith, because of your disobedience, you will not go into the promised land. You see, oftentimes we try to do things in our own plan, and sometimes God still allows it to be successful. But God says, unless you're participating in my plan, you will not see the greatest reward. And so as a church, we need to pray that we will participate in the plan of God. And then finally, we need to pray to glimpse the glory of God. Look back in Exodus chapter 33. We see that the Lord says to Moses in verse 17, remember, they're still in the, they're still in the tent of the meeting. They're still communing together. And, and Moses says to the Lord, the, uh, uh, excuse me, the Lord says to Moses, these things that you have asked, I will do. I'll go with you, Moses. And then verse, look at verse 18. And Moses says, please show me your glory. You know, Moses has been bold with God up until this point, but he gets even bolder here. He simply says to God this. He says, God, I know you've shown me all these things, but God, I want to see you completely. I want to see everything I can about you. Now, of all the people at this time to ask that, it's crazy that Moses is the one asking that. You say, what do you mean? Remember, Moses is the guy who had a conversation with God, and God was in a burning bush. And he says, God, I want to see more of you. Moses was the guy, this is the guy who saw God part the Red Sea and the people walk through, not on wet ground, but on dry ground. This is the guy who saw uh, God lead them with a cloud by day and fire by night. This is the guy who hit a rock and water came out. This is the guy who prayed to God, said God provide food and God dropped bread down every single day for them to eat. This is the guy who asked God to, uh, to do great things and God did them over and over again. This is the guy who walked up a mountain and have a conversation with God and God gave him the law, the commandments. Moses knew God better than probably anyone in this room. He had seen God. But he wanted more. The reality is, is, and some of you will attest to this, the reality is, is the more that you see God, the more that you know God, the more you want 
And if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I don't have that want. Then you're struggling with what we talked about last week, and that is apathy. But if you're saying, I want that, God, I want to know you more. See, our desire for, for God should be an unquenchable appetite. It should never stop. No, there are days when, when it's going to wane. There are days maybe even it's going to be hard. But your desire for God should continue to grow more and more and more. And I want to know more about God. And that's what Moses is saying. He's saying, God, you have shown me all these things about yourself, but it's not enough. I want you, God. Look what happens. Look, if you will, at verse 20. God says to him, but Moses, you can't see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. Verse 19, prior to that, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. How is he going to do this? Look down in verse 22, and, and he says to him, I'm going to take you up to a place, verse 21, Behold, there is a place by me where uh, you shall stand on a rock, and, and while my glory passes by, I will put... Uh, you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by, and then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall you sh- my face shall not be seen. God gives Moses his desire as he prays for the glory of God. Uh, God gives that to him. God wants us to know who He is. God wants us to see all of His glory. God wants us to have an understanding of Him. But God also, like Moses, wants us to understand that there's a huge gap between Him and us. We can't see Him, as Moses said, but we can continue to know Him. But God wants us to know who He is. We read in Matthew a few moments ago about what, what, God, what Jesus taught them about prayer. But remember, He goes on and He begins to teach them the model prayer. And He says to them, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Exalted, lifted up is the idea there. And God wants us to lift up His name. God wants us to know that He is so far above us. He is so far more powerful than us. But He wants us to understand that. And then what He says next is interesting. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what the prayer is that God is saying is then this, is that we should want to see the glory of God and we should want the world around us to see the glory of God. We should want them to see it so much that God is seen in heaven and on earth the same way. In heaven, God is exalted and the angels worship Him. Isaiah caught a glimpse of that when he saw these angels. Remember the angels and said they had six wings and, and with two of them they covered their eyes and they cried, Holy, Holy, Holy. And what Isaiah saw was this, that in heaven the angels worshiping God. And what God is saying and what Jesus is saying in this prayer is our prayer should be, God, we want you to be seen on earth in the same way you're seen in heaven. Are we praying, God, we want you to be magnified here on earth like you are in heaven? Let's ask God to see more of him. First Baptist Church, do you want to see more of God? Do you want Mishawaka and the surrounding areas to see more of God through us? 
one of the greatest signs that uh, a church has fallen into a spirit of apathy is that they have the audacity to think that somehow we don't need God. But somehow we think that, in fact, He needs us. And that is completely absurd. God doesn't need First Baptist Church to reach Mishawaka. But God wants us to be a part of the plan that He is doing. So here's what I would like to do. I would like to challenge you as a church to pray specifically for the next 21 days for God to work in this church. My challenge is twofold. First of all, my challenge is to pray. Uh, if, if you take out uh, your, if you took notes or not, I think they're in the bulletin here. I'll see if I find one. Yeah. In your bulletin there, you have these notes, and I gave them. If you did not get them, uh, we will make them available, but uh, on there, uh, my challenge, first of all, is every single day for the next 21 days to pray for these four items. Pray to declare our need to God. Pray to experience intimacy with God. Pray that we can participate in the plan of God. And pray to glimpse the glory of God. For the next 21 days, I challenge you to pray for these things every single day. Maybe you pray as individuals. Maybe you pray as groups. Maybe you pray with your family. Whatever it is, pray for those things. And the second part of that, on the back, uh, you will see uh, every day I'm going to give you Monday through Friday this week, I'm going to give you some other prayer requests to pray for on those specific days. And you can see those listed there. And my challenge for you is to pray as a church. Now let me ask you a question. Are you willing to do that? I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do. In a moment I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to actually ask you to publicly acknowledge that you accept this challenge. And I want you to be sincere about it. I want you to say either yes or no. And if, if it's yes, I want it to be yes because that's really your heart desire is to be committed to praying for uh, God to work through us. But if your answer is no, don't stand. Don't participate. Don't do it just because you're afraid other people are going to watch or other people are going to see. Don't do that. We don't want followers. We don't want... People who are just a show, we want real. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will work. I pray that you will direct. I pray that you will guide. God, we need you. We need you like we've never, ever needed you before. God, we need to see you. God, we need to participate in your plan. God, we need to have an intimate relationship with you. Lord, as a church, Lord, I pray that you will help our church to see this. Convict hearts. Lord, this isn't a publicity stunt. This isn't just an emotional plea. God, your word tells us this is what you want from us. So Lord, I pray that you help us to participate. 